freedom, man. That's what it's all about. Welcome. You are listening to What on Earth is Happening. This show will discuss the topics of human consciousness, mind control, natural law, the occult, and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of Earth. What on Earth is Happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I am your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, of course, is oraclebroadcasting.com. Today is Sunday, May 6th, 2012. We have a great show lined up for you here today on Oracle Broadcasting. We are going to be continuing talking about solutions and one of the biggest solutions being the withdrawal of our support from the dominator culture and those who continue to support coercion, control, and the abuse of other people's inherent natural law rights. We are going to be talking about saying no to domination in general, saying no to the entire mindset of being a controller or being controlled. We are going to be talking about saying no to evil, ladies and gentlemen, because that is one of the biggest solutions. This system cannot continue to do what it does without us supporting it and giving life to an immoral system of control. So that's coming up today on What on Earth is Happening. I do have a couple of quick event announcements before we get into the uh, subject material for today's show. I'm going to be appearing on Occult Science Radio with Curtis Davis, the Illuminated One, on Monday, May 7th. That's tomorrow evening, Monday, May 7th, 2012 at 8.30 p.m. I believe it's a two-hour show, so 8.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m. East Coast time, tomorrow evening, Occult Science Radio with the Illuminated One, Curtis Davis. I'll be posting a link to the website uh, tonight in the news section of whatonearthishappening.com. Also, it looks like we have found tentatively, I will say, a venue for the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity documentary night. And I'll be announcing whether that's definite tomorrow on the show. Here in Philadelphia, of course, the meetup group Truth, Freedom, Prosperity, a great group of activists in the Philadelphia area, usually meet every uh, last Wednesday of the month 
for a free documentary screening and discussion evening. This month, I'm planning on showing Max Egan's new film, Transformation, which I found to be excellent. I just uh, downloaded it and watched it a couple of weeks back when it first came out. And that's the one I'm planning on showing this month. It looks like we have a new venue here in Philadelphia at Essene Food Market, Essene Food Market, which is on 4th and Monroe Streets here in Philadelphia. There's something about 4th Street. You know, uh, the Free Your Mind conference happened just off of 4th Street. Uh, Media Bureau, where we hosted the documentaries previously, was on 4th Street. And now uh, a little bit farther south, uh, below Center City into South Philadelphia, we may be moving the documentary night. That's tentative. It's not definite. If it works out, it'll be on May 30th. But more about that on the other side. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Before the break, I was talking about the um, moving of the venue of the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity documentary uh, screening and discussion evenings here in Philadelphia. You know, this is a unique meetup group here in, in Philly because I don't know of anyone else that's hosting documentary nights like this. I wish there were more of them. I wish more people were doing things like this, but unfortunately, I, I don't really see many of them, especially not here in the city. Uh, I know that um, Betsy Metz does her um, 9-11 and other truth films at the uh, Anthony Wayne Theater in Wayne, uh, Pennsylvania, just outside of the city limits, but um, here in the city, the TFP Documentary Nights, one of the only documentary uh, discussion uh, screening and discussion evenings that I know of. So um, very important, I think, to keep them going because we're definitely reaching uh, a uh, core audience of individuals who want to go further in their understanding and take their consciousness to a higher level. So with that having been said, like I said, um, I've been in discussions with the, one of the managers at a scene food market, and it looks like it's going to work out. Um, I just have to find out the availability if the last Wednesday of the month is available. If not, we may have to move it to another night during the week. But if it is available, uh, and I will know that by probably sometime this week, I'll announce it, and uh, it will be taking place on May 30th tentatively. So um, that's that announcement. Um, there is one other quick announcement regarding the announcement that I made last week about ad-free sponsorship for this show. So many people complain of the commercial breaks, them being too frequent. Um, I've explained n- numerous times about why they're necessary. It pays for bandwidth on the network. This is a live radio show, not a podcast, as are the other shows on this network. So um, for the people I said who you know still wanted to complain about that, there's now an opportunity to put your money where your mouth is, literally. So um, I announced last week that there is the opportunity to sponsor this show uh, to to have it go radio free. I, I was thinking outside the box about this. 
scenario. Well, the network needs to make make some money to pay for bandwidth costs, and people don't like the commercials and the frequency. So if someone would be willing to pay for blocks of ad time, they would have to take you know uh, a section of of time. Um, and I believe that the network is working it out that this actually has to be done in a in a month. Uh, a a several-month basis, in other words, like for three months so they don't have to change the programming and then change it right back. So um, it's actually – the rates are reasonable. I've I've, uh, seen the rates. I'm not going to announce them over the air. If you're serious about uh, doing this sponsorship to make the show go commercial-free during the two hours that I'm on the air – you can get in touch with me at whatonearthishappening.com and I could uh, have you get in touch with uh, the uh, uh, individual who handles this at Oracle Broadcasting and they will give you the rates. Okay, so that's how I'm, I'm working it instead of just announcing what the cost would be on the air. But I have seen the costs now and I'm realizing it is quite reasonable. It's not something that would be, you know, way out of reach for many people. So, um, uh, Perhaps people could go together and buy a three-month block of time, okay? Uh, and I already have one individual who's very interested in this, and it looks like it's going to be going forward. So at least for three months in the foreseeable future, that this show will probably be commercial-free. Now, how long that will continue is up to the listening audience. If they want to continue to sponsor the show... Uh, uh, and help the efforts of myself and Oracle Broadcasting. They could contribute a little bit, team up in in a, a pool of individuals and, and contribute that way. Uh, in that sense, it wouldn't really take very much in the way of resources from what I have seen regarding the cost. So if you are interested in perhaps teaming up with someone to do this, uh, get in touch with me and I could uh, put you in touch with the individual at Oracle you will need to speak to uh, to get the exact rates. But again, like I said, I have seen them and they are reasonable. It is not something that I consider to be beyond uh, um, feasibility. So that's the last announcement that I have and let's jump into the subject material for today's show. Last week I was going into apophysis in depth and for, again, this word is something that people, many people have never heard of. It's spelled A-P-O-P-H-A-S-I-S, apophysis. And it basically is a method of reasoning that is employed to arrive at knowledge by way of the exclusion of the negatives, the exclusion of things that you definitely know uh, something is not. Okay, so you're removing the negative about something in order to understand that which it actually is. Okay, so they call it apophatic inquiry. Okay, it is affirmation through negation, learning more about what something is by describing all of the qualities that actually have nothing to do with the thing, that, that it definitely is not. And then by, process, by way of elimination, you're actually left with the essence of the thing. Okay, that's what apophysis traditionally is. What it means in its etymological roots, if we go back to the Greek uh, root of the word, it comes from the Greek verb apophani, which means not to speak, or in an in a actual deeper connotation, it actually means to say no. Okay, so apophysis is to say that which something is not. Okay, what 
we're really getting into here is how apophysis needs to be employed in order to stop giving power to the dominator system that is controlling us as a species. Stop propping up evil. Stop propping up immorality. Stop propping up coercion and the control of other human beings and the elimination of other people's natural rights. And this really can only be done once we know what rights really are. And apophatic inquiry, of course, we saw in the section on natural law and again uh, reiterated recently, is so critical to the understanding of what rights are. We have to see our rights in the apophatic sense. We have to know what they are by knowing what they are not, by knowing what things we do not have the natural law right to do because those actions cause harm to other living beings. So this section is about all about withdrawing our support as the battery that powers the dominator system. That's what we've been talking about over the last many weeks. If you go up to the What on Earth is Happening website, on the radio show page, click the radio show tab. Underneath the player for the show, uh, as always, there are images for today's show. And there are um, numerical links. You can click them to bring up uh, the slideshow of presentation uh, slides of the concepts and ideas that I talk about on the show. So as over the last many weeks, the first three images are basically the same because we've been in the same section of this, uh, this uh, information, which is the solutions. We're talking about solution-oriented approaches, and the solution that we're on is the non-supportive dominators. So I want to pick up with image number uh, four and five. We talked about apophysis. That was image number four. I want to go into image number five because I want to uh, revisit these allegories, which I really didn't have a chance to cover super in-depth, and I want to break them down a little bit more in-depth this week on the show. That's coming up. Stay with us, everyone. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this Today on the show, we're continuing to talk about apophysis. We're saying no to domination. And I'm going to continue breaking down the four fictional allegories which really contain the concept of apophysis embedded in them at a deep level. For those who are paying attention and really understand what these allegories are saying, what they're all about, uh, one would recognize uh, apophysis saying no as one of the huge uh, central themes of these allegorical films. And again, people should not get hung up in the fictional aspect of these films. They are they're like parables. They're fictional tales, yes, but they're told to explain to us something about the real world in which we are living in and help us to gain a deeper understanding of that, of those dynamics that are taking place around us in the, in the world of the real, not the, the fictional, okay? So we have to understand that, yes, they're fictions, but they're not really fictions. They're allegorical fictions which are telling a deep moral teaching a deep moral lesson and wrapping it in the guise of a fiction of a story 
Okay. With that having been said, last week we focused on four of these allegorical fictions, and I, I really kind of broke it out at the end of the show, so I wanted to give a little bit more time to this that it, because it does deserve a little bit more time because these, um, these concepts uh, embedded in these films are so powerful when properly understood. So we talked about the word no as it has been used throughout time and has, as it has been used allegorically in these fictional um, moral lesson teaching films. And I called the word no the most powerful word in the entire universe. People will say love is the most powerful word in the universe. Yes, perhaps is the most powerful word. You know, truth. The word no trumps them all, ladies and gentlemen. That's where real power may be found. Once we refuse to stop cooperating with the dark force, once we refuse to stop cooperating with domination, coercion, control, and we take control of ourselves, our own thoughts, our own emotions, our own actions, and bring them into unity with each other, that's the only way we're going to develop the courage ever to say no to what is wrong. In the New Age movement, again, I know I harp on this a lot, but it wants to tell you that this isn't how we should be approaching this. And they're incorrect. They're wrong. They're basically trying to sugarcoat everything for people and tell them that it's never about saying no to anything. It's only ever about saying yes to things. And that's not the case. As a matter of fact, it's almost entirely the opposite, as opposed to what we do need to be doing in the way of new things. There's, there's very little of that required, okay? We don't need to be doing all these different new things. We need to stop doing the things that we are doing now that we don't have the right to do, that are wrong, that's how all of these problems that humanity is beset with would largely clear up practically in cosmic terms overnight if we started saying no to that which is wrong. And the New Age movement is a deflection away from that understanding. They want you to think it's all good and it's all positive and never want to point a finger and say, you know, that's wrong and you should not be doing that. They want to try to tell you all the things, yes, you should be doing this, should be doing that. See, it's all about affirmation, but it's never about negation. Never look at the negative is how the New Age movement puts its message out there. And again, this is one of the most serious deceptions that is out there. It is what I've called and many other researchers who understand this trap have called the last cul-de-sac before the gold mine. Before getting to the real alchemical gold, which is apophysis, which is the deep understanding of natural law and how it is being tra transgressed against at every turn by people who think that they have rights that they do not have, who try to make justifications or creating rights that don't exist, like we talked about a couple weeks back and last week also. Th this movement, you know, of overly optimistic individuals, perhaps, 
who are misguided, and then I would say at the very highest levels, ultimately deceivers, who are dark occultists, who are trying to keep back the understanding of natural law and apophysis at a deep level from people by feeding them this uh, swill that they're feeding them about never looking at anything that's, that's wrong or negative and telling them that that's bad and it'll bring it on. When in fact, you need to understand what's wrong. You need to understand that because that's the answer to why you're experiencing what you're experiencing. And that's what you need to stop doing if you no longer want to experience that self-inflicted suffering that is a direct result of taking those actions. And it isn't just about telling people to start doing the right things. It's, it's all about, I wouldn't say all, but largely, largely about telling them to stop doing the wrong things. And then the self-corrective measures will organically take over at that juncture. And yeah, you do need to know what the right good things are to do, but, but I'm telling you, it's largely about stopping the negative stuff, largely about that. And again, the New Age movement wants to tell you it's not that, they, and they can scream that until they're blue in the face, and it will never make it true. And again, so many people who listen to information in general like this, you know, don't want to look at those negative things. They want to believe it can all be solved or there's some, you know, by just, you know, doing positive work and never saying to people, look, you're still doing this and it's wrong and you need to stop doing that if more chaos isn't going to be created as a result. And this is what they don't want people to do because they are cowards who fear any level of confrontation. And there I said it. That's what the people who will only engage the positive are all about. They really don't have any real courage to stand up to a bully because that's what the lesson is here, ladies and gentlemen. That's ultimately what the lesson is. Saying no to a bully, okay? Saying, I'm not going to take this anymore for, and mean it. But also say, I'm also not going to do your bidding anymore and mean it. See, apophysis works, it's a two-way street. It's the people who are being oppressed by other dominators who need to say, no, I'm not going to continue to allow you to oppress me like this. But also, it's about the dominators telling their owners, their masters, you know, who many of them don't even think that they have. They think they're at the top of the food chain, and that's pathetically laughable. You know, people in the police and military think they're the ones who are actually making the decisions that govern their actions, you know, and, and nobody owns them like a pet on a leash, like a little lap dog, okay? It's pathetic. I've, I've talked about it before. It's pathetic that these people think that they're real men or real women when they're not even really human beings at all at some level. They've allowed what it means to be a human being to be completely taken and removed from them. So they're, they're taken. They're chess pieces that have been taken. You know, in street lingo, they've been took and don't even understand how they've been took. And at some level, it's absolutely pathetic that someone thinks that they're some kind of a real person and really they've completely given themselves up entirely over to another person, another being, just because they hate having to think for themselves and exercise true personal responsibility. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back, folks. Look. 
Welcome back, everyone. Listening to what earth is happening. I'm your host, podcast here. Talk about fictional allegories containing the concept of apophysis today, and we're going to be breaking down four of them. I'm going to want to jump right into this right now because we only had a brief time to do this last week, and I kind of rushed it. So I think it deserves a little bit more time because these are phenomenal uh, moral allegories if they're properly understood as something more than simple uh, fictional movies. So if we look at image number six, it's a representation of uh, one of the scenes in the movie The Matrix from 1999, the first in the trilogy, which I think all of the Matrix movies all three of them are extraordinarily powerful allegorical um, movies that explain not only the situation that we are in, but also explain why we are in it. The trilogy of The Matrix actually gives us the answer to why this is happening. And it's something many people don't understand They can't see the allegory in The Matrix, particularly the second and third movies. These films resonated with people and were huge box office successes, but many people, still, the allegory escapes them, and it goes right over their head. Even people who love the first one think that the second and third are, you know, weak in comparison when the deepest part of the allegory is contained in those films, particularly Film number two, The Matrix Reloaded, uh, with the scene with the Merovingian that I broke down a couple of weeks back. But this scene in image number six is at the end of the first film, and it is when Neo, the hero of the movie, played by Keanu Reeves, uh, he plays the character Neo, and this is an allegory for the neocortex, the part of the brain that has to become one, the one in order to unite with the heart, which is the generative principle of care, so that he could actually affect reality through his own will. Okay? That's what the movie is about. So, when he finally realizes he is the one, or in other words, he has come to a place of balance and unity within... His thoughts, his emotions, and his actions are one, the aspects of his consciousness. The left and right brain hemispheres are have become one. They are no longer divided, okay? They're no longer chronically in a state of imbalance, but they now have come into a state of balance, okay? His neocortex operates at higher level thought, in conjunction with the heart, the generative principle of care, meaning that which creates, ultimately creates our experience, that which we care about, and then put our mind toward making a manifested reality by an act of our will. Okay? So, in this final scene in the movie, or or semi-final scene, near the very end, okay? Neo is dying. He's brought back to life by Trinity. Again, this is another allegory. 
trinity, the three aspects, the triune aspects of the self, okay, thought, emotion, action. She represents the sacred feminine in the trinity of heroes, which is Morpheus representing thought, trinity representing emotion, and Neo representing action or will, okay? She brings him to life, okay, so the generative principle of care our emotional qualities, the emotional qualities of self, the sacred feminine, ultimately have to be brought back to life to inspire right action in the world. When he realizes he is the one, the first word out of his mouth, when he stands to face the agents in the matrix who represent the control system depicted in the upper uh, right-hand panel, on this image number six on the What on Earth is Happening radio show page or with the podcast for this show, which I believe will be podcast 106. Um, the first word that leaves Neo's mouth, and I tried to catch the, the, the scene, tried to catch the frame in the upper left-hand panel there as he is actually mouthing the word, because he says it sort of quietly as his head is coming up from looking down. But nonetheless, the very first word that he speaks is no. And upon saying that, the realization of the power that he now holds is fully within him. And he puts his hand up and is able to stop the bullets that leave the guns of the agents at will. In other words, he can now actually affect manifested reality. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to put your hand up once you say no to the control system and, fit and literally physically stop bullets. Of course, this is an allegory. It means that when we say no, that's when this will be stopped. But as long as we continue to give our support and say, oh, it's wonderful what our military boys are, uh, are doing. It's wonderful what the cops do for us. They're so necessary, these institutions. They keep us safe. That's what they're here to do, don't you know? Without them, we'd be, oh, it would be a horrible situation for humanity. You know, as if somehow it isn't now a horrible situation and a much worse situation, actually than of not having any idea what has led us into this mess, rather than see the direct experiential results of, of actual chaos. I would rather take my chances with that real chaos, that real physical chaos that might happen if you let off controls off of people suddenly, okay? Which, sure, there's, an, there's a potential for that. Am I afraid of that? Absolutely not. I'll take my chances rather than live in a system that attempts at every turn to hold back and dissuade people from an understanding of natural law and therefore they don't understand how they're creating this chaos that they're living in. They don't even understand that they are living in a state of chaos right now and what's called punctuated chaos, which means it's very difficult ever to get rid of it or to jostle it free because you don't even understand what's causing it or why it's there to begin with. No understanding of the causal factors, which again is explained to the heroes in the movie in the second part of this allegory. They want the solution to stopping all of this control. They don't understand what's, what really is causing it. 
Okay, taking action is so important toward that end. But you have to know the causal factor as well if you're really going to stop creating that which you do not want. That's how the real law of attraction works. You have to know how attraction operates. You have to know how natural law works to bring us the experiences that we have on a day-to-day basis through our choices. Therefore, you can make different choices and therefore change the experienced, manifested results of those choices. But so many people think that they can magically make it happen without actually having to do any real work upon themselves, make any real change, make any real changes in thoughts and behavior, and suddenly the external reality is going to magically change. Or we can do little things that don't really involve any change, like vote for someone, give, give someone else our support. We don't actually have to change, and we could somehow vote evil out of office. And it it never works that way. That's not how reality operates. People who are holding on to power are not going to want to give it up. We have to say no to helping them with their plans, ultimately. To say, well, if you want to try to get that done, you're going to have to do it by yourself, because I'm not helping you. That's where the real power to create change lies. So everybody listening within the sound of my voice, if you're still involved in an institution that you know is not helping humanity move forward or evolve, there is no other solution than non-compliance with that institution. It isn't about voting to get other people to tell those institutions, hey, stop, stop oppressing those people or just oppress them a little bit less. You know, don't beat them on a daily basis. Why don't you try beating them on a weekly basis instead? You know, that's the equivalent of begging dominators for your rights. You know, let's try to vote for less uh, aggressive coercion and violence. Please, Daddy, don't beat me every single day. Take a day off here and there. Yeah, that'll work, sure. We'll continue to break down these four allegories. We'll move on to equilibrium. Next, we're listening to what on earth is happening here on the Oracle Podcasting Radio Network. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. All right, folks, we're back. I'm Mark Pasco. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. Let's move on to the next allegorical movie and break down the concept of apophysis or saying no contained within that film. This movie is Equilibrium depicted on image number seven on the website. This is a Masonic allegory. The entire movie is a Masonic allegory. And I would say it is a light Masonic allegory. It is put out there by someone who understands Freemasonry at a pretty deep level, is familiar with its symbolism, okay? And 
is telling a moral, teaching a moral lesson in this movie and hard moral lessons, I might add, things that many people will be very uncomfortable with, okay? They're not mincing any words. They're not uh, pulling any punches, okay? They're not holding back in this allegory. It is hard, harsh lessons about reality that are taught in this film. Let me see if I could set this up, okay? And again, people should definitely check these movies out for themselves and watch them a number of times, not just once, to really understand and let the allegory sink in. But it's a totalitarian state, okay, that has basically taken over the world after, uh, I guess, you know, humanity... Uh, basically fought a bunch of wars and almost destroyed themselves. Similar in that regard to the new allegorical film, The Hunger Games, I just uh, saw that. I thought it was excellent. And I also uh, read two of the books. I'm in the middle of the third one. Uh, you know, nobody sent me any spoilers because I'm uh, anxious to see how it turns out. But uh, also powerful um, allegorical film about, you know, it's a warning about what could happen if we stay on this course that we're on. But um, to go back to equilibrium, there's a totalitarian state that has taken over. Uh, they basically call themselves the Tetragrammaton. That's what the name of the government in this dystopian future is. And that's a name for God. And it's very appropriate. They think they're God. They think they own everyone. They think they can slaughter anyone who d goes against their will at, at whim. Okay, just, you know, immediately take someone out. They instantly incinerate, summarily judge and incinerate people, put them into incinerators who basically disobey them. Okay, and basically they have outlawed all emotion. It is illegal to show any compassion or emotion. That's how far this totalitarian state has gone. Okay, now they call people who break these laws, quote unquote, sense criminals or sense offenders, sense offenders, meaning if they have any compassion or emotion, they're, they're criminals, sense offenders, they call them, okay? And this is like an underground group of people or resistance movement that is basically, uh, you know, deciding that they would like to stay human and not to completely destroy the emotional aspect of themselves. So they have this, um, and, by, and by, the, by the way, this uh, tetragrammaton government basically keeps people drugged. They give them this drug. Um, I, I believe the drug itself, um, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's called Equilibrium. It may not be, but I'm not sure if that's where the name comes from. But um, basically, they give them a drug that they inject into themselves on a daily basis that keeps their emotions suppressed. And this is what television, media, entertainment, indoctrination, etc. That's all it's an allegory for. It's a veiled reference to that. Okay? So they have a population of totally emotionally numb people. And then there's these sense offenders who basically want to keep their emotions and want to keep art and culture and reading. You know, if people are found with books, they're, they're killed, they're shot or, or immediately... Uh, taken and judged and incinerated if they're found with art all art is outlawed and all displays of emotion are outlawed so how they enforce this is through their regular police forces in black uniforms of course all looking like stormtroopers 
um, and in with a, a special clerical or priest class of controllers that are called the grammaton clerics. Grammaton clerics. Now, Look at the words here in this allegory, okay? Grammaton, based on words, in other words, okay? The word play, the word magic, that is all what the law is about, okay? Trying to say that they own natural beings, and you must obey them, and you must follow their orders and dictates, regardless of whether they're moral or not. And cleric is a priest, someone who's involved in a religion. They're telling you this by the word choice. People look at this and hear the word tetragrammaton and have no idea what that means, unless you've studied the occult or studied at least, you know, old uh, Hebrew occult philosophies or even religions. The word tetragrammaton is sometimes brought up in Judaism as well. But it's definitely known about in Kabbalistic circles and occult teachings as well. Because it's all about the four elements, the four elements that come together and are bound together by spirit. Earth, air, water, fire, and spirit. The five elements, the quintessence is the fifth. Again, we've talked about that. I've talked about this on other shows like... um, Occult Empire, we, when I got into alchemy and also Rosicrucianism. But Tetragrammaton means four-letter name, okay? That's basically what it means. And it's the forces of nature that comprise the physical world, earth, air, water, and fire. And then there's the fifth element or the quintessence, which is the spirit that imbues them all with life, okay? So this tetragrammaton or total totalitarian state that thinks it's God is basically run by this central um, figurehead called Father. Okay, because this is an allegory to God the Father. Okay? So, Father is depicted here on the upper right. The upper left is the hero. His name in the film is John Preston. He's played by Christian Bale. Father is played by an actor named Sean Pertwee. Okay? And basically, this scene is depicting the end of the film where Father has become aware of Christian Bale not only beginning to feel, beginning to develop emotions and display emotions, and want to help people in their suffering and want to even help animals because there's a powerful scene with a dog, uh, part of the movie with a dog portrayed in this that finally starts to reach this uh, psychopathic individual or at least secondarily psychopathic individual, the tetragram, the grammaton cleric known as John Preston. When he starts to ex- experience emotions, his partner, Brant, another grammaton cleric basically wants to turn him in and he does everything he can to alert father to hit to um, John Preston's betrayal of the tetragrammaton so Bale tries to play it up that you know it's the other agent who's really 
the the uh, the traitor and uh, who has been working with this resistance effort of of uh, sense offenders. And there's a very powerful. There's two other powerful characters in the movie. One is named Mary O'Brien. This is the representation of the sacred feminine who reminds Preston of his own wife who he lost to the Tetragrammaton for showing emotions. They killed her. Basically, this woman, Mary O'Brien, okay, represents the sacred feminine. Mary, the blessed mother, okay, the sacred feminine, the goddess, the Holy Spirit, care, okay, because that's what this movie is about. She has a conversation with the Christian Bale character, uh, John Preston, okay, and explains to him the purpose of life is to feel, because he says, well, she tries to ask him, why do you do anything that you do? You know, and he wants to say it's all for the power and the glory of the state. So much, so far beyond that, so deep in that, that ultimately defines who we are. And that's our inner selves, the core of our being, which is all about our care. Explained to him by a woman named Mary. We'll pick this up on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Flawless science believes you deserve the. Stay asleep, obey. When he looks at it with his eyes, it's what we see. When he looks at it with the sunglasses, we see the same things all the way through. The subliminal symbolic that you couldn't see. Obey, no independent thought. Don't think of yourself. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. Let's continue to break down the allegory of the film Equilibrium from 2002 featuring Christian Bale. About apophysis, saying no. And I said that this is a Masonic allegory. Okay? And that really comes to its fruition near the end of the film when Christian Bale is, uh, or John Preston, the Tetragrammaton cleric, is taken to father's resonance. He requests an audience with this psychopath father who is the head of the totalitarian government known as the Tetragrammaton because he basically handed over the resistance to them and this was supposed to be a a plot okay so that he could actually kill father father is tipped off to this by the other <clears throat> the partner of John Preston who is Brant and basically uh, is now letting the Christian Bale character, John Preston, <clears throat> know that he was aware of his deception. He was aware he's a sense criminal. And he's basically hooking him up to a machine, proving that Preston shows emotions. So now he, he's exposed and known about. And he also has the resistance movement in his custody. So father is telling John Preston, you've given not only the resistance over, but you've given yourself over to me now, you know, through this failure of your little uh, insurrection and your, your plan 
to kill me. And uh, just for a moment, I'd like to step back. And uh, I saw in the chat room during the break that uh, someone did alert me to the name of the drug in Equilibrium. And thank you for that. It is prosium. And this is extremely allegorical because it's very similar to Prozac because that's what it does. It's, it's an antidepressant. Okay, It keeps your emotions at bay, keeps you from really truly feeling the demon drugs, as I refer to them, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. So very similar to Prozac. And it is based on the word prose, meaning words. Again, word magic. And this movie is all about the word. Words. Tetragrammaton. Grammaton cleric. Prosium. And, of course, the name of the movie itself, Equilibrium, which for anyone who understands anything about Freemasonry, they will recognize that as the lost word. But what I would say is I no longer even feel that equilibrium is the so-called lost word of Freemasonry. It is the pathway to the lost word. It is the only way you get to the lost word. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the true lost word is no. That is the lost word. That is the word that must be spoken in a chorus of humanity in order to free ourselves. And it is the only word that can leave our mouths that has the power ultimately to free this species. Equilibrium is the pathway, balance is the pathway to taking the power into ourselves to speak that lost word of no, the most powerful word in creation. Coming up, that was the short segment. We're coming up to another break. After this break, I'm going to continue to break down this Masonic allegory here on What on Earth is Happening. And then we're going to look at two more allegories, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and The Box. Stay with us, ladies and gentlemen. You won't want to miss this. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. Let's jump right back into our breakdown of these allegorical films that put forward the idea of apophysis, or saying no. We're talking about equilibrium, a Masonic allegory, of course. And this is really shown in the last scene, particularly, uh, with... Preston and Brandt dressed in their their light and dark uniforms respectively. Respectively. Uh, Preston is dressed in all white representing light and Brandt dressed in black which is representative of darkness. Father of course wearing all black which is representative of darkness and chaos and evil and control. Okay? So Before I break down the last scene, um, I want to talk about one other character, the leader of the resistance named Jurgen. 
And he explains to the Preston character that there are some times when good people in the protection of right need to basically realize a psychopath for what he is and do something about it because they're not going to back down on their own. They need to be told no. And if you can't convince other people not to say no to them, eventually someone has to make a stand against them, just like had to happen in this country 236 years ago. You know, that's the whole point is that ultimately we're not going to ever get this done the right way unless it's done through understanding, unless it's done by the people who do understand right from wrong, use their words to put this out into the universe in such a force that people ultimately choose the right over the wrong through an act of their will. If that doesn't happen, we'll continue to have to do this through the same method, which always ends ultimately in failure, which is through the necessary use of force, and it never succeeds ultimately. It always comes back around again, because it's never going to ultimately succeed. That's why they call it a revolution. A revolution of force always ultimately comes back upon itself. That's why we didn't free ourselves after the American Revolution, because we could not convince people that people should be allowed simply to live free and stop oppressing people's rights because some psychopathic, insane individual call, calling himself a king, thinking that he's God, told you to do this. Just like some psychopathic, insane individual thinking himself that he's God, a politician told you to say you don't have any natural law rights and we're shutting down your freedom of speech or we're taking your guns, etc., etc., any other number of means that dominators called police and military oppress people's rights every single day of the year and won't say no to their owners, to their owners. Like the good little pets that they are. And again, they're all too happy to call them that. I'm going to be giving, coming up on the show, I'm going to be giving the uh, information regarding the occultic mockery of police and military in this segment, similar to the information I gave at the Free Your Mind conference, except I'll probably even elaborate on it a little bit more. I'm going to be, look. we're going to be looking at culpability. Who is morally culpable for what? when actions are taken that aren't in harmony with natural law. We're going to look at why these individuals do what they do. And I've, I've said this before on the show, we'll be looking at trauma, having experienced past trauma, identification with the abuser and victim of trauma. We'll be looking at the repression of sexuality, especially if it doesn't fit in with a religious notion of what sexuality should be or a cultural notion of what sexuality should be. And then the repression and subsequent frustration that develops out of that uh, that leads to violent and immoral behavior because these people simply can't accept who they are because culture tells them it should be some other way or religion tells them it should be other way, some other way. With that being said, uh, back to the allegory of equilibrium, the um, Jurgen character 
you know, after the Mary character, Mary, O'Bri- Mary O'Brien, explains to him the importance of emotion, the Jurgen character also explains to him the apo- importance of sometimes keeping emotion in check. Because we can't think clearly if we're in emotion. We're not, if, if we're in an emotional frenzy, we have to basically understand how to control our own emotions as well. And sometimes that needs to be pulled back almost entirely to recognize you're not dealing with something, someone who's actually like a human being. You're dealing with someone who is more like a reptile or an animal whose circumstances or conditions or perhaps even genetics in the case of a primary psychopath, okay, which we're not going to get into why a primary psychopath exists. Maybe at a future show we may speculate on, on that. Okay, but know that they do exist. I've talked about this condition before on past shows. And you're not going to talk down a primary psychopath. They are simply a stimulus response creature that is never going to listen to reason. They're incapable of feeling. And ultimately, that means they're incapable of truly understanding why they're doing this to themselves at some level. They're bringing down upon themselves what always comes down upon them, which is an inevitable backlash. And again, I I told you before, it's still a failure. It doesn't ultimately get it done. So we'll keep going through this, this cycle over and over and over and over and over again until enough people wake up to a point where we can convey this information through words and not have to get it done through force. Because revolution means another turning of the wheel of suffering. And that means you have to get it done through force this time. Well, you'll be going around again, ladies and gentlemen, on the big wheel until you get it right the right way. You not only have to get it right, meaning free yourself, you have to do it the right way, which means through the understanding of natural law, not just destroying the dominators when they won't back down and have backed you into a corner because you aren't teaching people natural law. And this is the failure we're up against now. We, we went through, the, through it the hard way in the American Revolution. Whether you b- b- believe, however you want to believe that war was fomented. There's so many theories about that. The bottom line is lots of people here did want true independence and true freedom and didn't want the creation of a government either. They wanted to stop at the Declaration of Independence. They wanted to really institute natural law rights in a real way. Watch the movie 1776. The abolition of slavery was being discussed in this country back then. But because there were certain people who went this far and no further, you know, I'm going to have a a quote about this at the end of the show about the halfway people. The people who go so far and only want things to be good for them. Okay? They want to be free, but when it comes to giving everybody their unequivocal freedom, then they pull back and say, whoa, whoa, let's not go that far. We'll continue with these allegorical breakdowns on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. We'll be right back.
How appropriate is it that this music would play during this exact time when I'm talking about the failure that is inherent in forceful revolution? I'm not saying that that may not sometimes be necessary, but it's always a failure if it's not followed up by massive, true education in the realm of natural law. And unfortunately, this country massively, massively fell short and dropped the ball when it came to doing anything close to that. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, everything I do on this show and in my personal life is to attempt to avert the necessity of another forceful revolution in this country. And I don't use the word violent. I use the word forceful because I know the difference between force and violence. Violence is what is being done to us, people who know, understand, and value their natural law inherent rights under natural law. Force is what people who are in a defensive mode may need to use to stop a violent aggressor, which they have every right to do. And I'm telling you right now, everything I am doing and have been doing is to attempt to avert that necessity. If it becomes necessary, it will be chosen, but I'm trying to avert that scenario by making it not required, not necessary, if enough people decide to say no to this control system, peacefully, willingly, and back down from following orders that other people are telling you to do that you have no right to do, that aren't right. Because that's what the whole problem is, is order followers who don't question their orders and shut their emotions off, don't use their emotions as a guide, a moral compass, okay, and just follow orders because they don't want to think for themselves. They don't want to truly have, uh, take on the personal responsibility for making their own decisions and their own actions. And that's what largely police and military are, people who hate personal responsibility and hate thinking for themselves. They want to be told what to do and think that following orders is some kind of a virtue, when in fact it is the antithesis of what virtue is all about. Because virtue comes from the willful choosing of right over the wrong after having taken in the definitive knowledge of natural law. Because virtue is about following your conscience, obeying your conscience. And you can't be going with your conscience if you are obeying the orders of any man, no matter how smart you think they are or even how virtuous you think they are. Virtue is not about listening to me, even if you think I'm right. Virtue is about finding out whether what I was saying, the information regarding natural law and right versus wrong, was right. And then doing the right things, things that don't inflict on other people's natural law rights, things that don't cause suffering for others. So that's what John Preston in this movie Equilibrium is finally at that level. He's finally ready to say no. And he's in father's uh, stronghold, you know, and he's uh, realizing that they have him and they also have the resistance movement because they've basically played him 
particularly Brandt, his partner. The father figure through a screen says to him while he's hooked up to this uh, galvanic skin response machine that's displaying his emotions. There you see it on the lower left in image number seven. Uh, the needle's going crazy, showing that he's in a fit. He's in a rage in internally. And when father says, well, you've given us, you've given yourself to us calmly and coolly. You've given us the resistance and all of this, you know, you've, you've turned over the resistance to us through the failure of your plan. And you've also turned yourself over to us totally calmly without any incident whatsoever. Well, at that moment, the needle goes completely still, meaning that he has now turned off his emotions. He is no longer in this emotional frenzy. He is now seeing things exactly as they are, not under emotional mind control anymore. The emotions are shut off, and he can see perfectly clearly as to his situation and what is required. And upon that, all of the power flows into him. And what is the first word that he says? You got it. No. Just like Neo, upon all of that power flowing into him, when he knows he's the one, when he knows he has come into balance in a state of equilibrium, the name of this particular movie, John Preston, just like Neo, the first word he says is no. And he follows that with not without incident. Meaning, maybe you've taken me in the resistance, but it's not going to be without incident. There will be a price. So, he goes into finally father's chambers where he's confronted with his guards. He takes them out and then he fights with Brant finally and takes Brant out in a very striking fashion. Watch the movie to see what I mean by that. And you'll see in the lower left uh, right hand corner of this image here on image number seven, uh, Preston, the light has conquered the darkness and he is standing in the middle of the stronghold, which is what the octagon represents. The octagon and the tau crosses, which I went over last week as far as symbolism goes. But again, that's the hypercube or tesseract, which is the dark occult's main symbol, which was in the middle of Father's offices at his stronghold at the Tetragrammaton headquarters. The octagon right on the floor. So they're, they're explaining to you this symbolism and they're explaining to you the allegory that he is the light pillar the pillar of the sun the light the Joaquin pillar who conquers the darkness okay he comes to equilibrium with the unification of the left and right brain hemispheres with the unification of emotion and action it's a beautiful allegory if it's properly understood he then goes on to turn off the signal, turn off the media, eventually, you know, get people off of their prosium and hopefully to re-educate the world about natural law such that this doesn't have to occur again. And that's always the failure. People want to do the revolutionary act, but then they don't want to do, they don't want to become a teacher. And often it's because they don't still know natural law themselves. They waited till it was too late to do it any other way. They did it with force and then 
they still are in a place where they don't understand how it got to be that bad, how they how it, they got backed into a corner like an animal like that. And that's often why they don't start teaching people natural law to see that that same disaster is again averted in the future. That's why we're back to the same situation we were in in 1774 and 1775. We're back to the same situation, ladies and gentlemen. And like I said, all I'm trying to do is avert the same outcome because ultimately that forceful revolution is a failure unless it is backed by an enormous re-education effort, a mass true education effort to educate people in the realities of how natural law operated to bring them that experience through their own decisions, their own chaotic choices when they went against natural law principles and chose wrong over right. They created that situation. I'm going to pick up with the next two allegories on the other side of the break, Rise of the Planet of the Apes and the Fox. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Let's move to the next allegorical breakdown of apophysis in a major Hollywood film, namely Rise of the Planet of the Apes. This came out last year in 2011, and of course, it's the beginning of the story about how a basically a race of super apes came to be with highly advanced intelligence. And this was done through some sort of genetic modification in a, in a laboratory. Uh, the uh, main ape in the film is Caesar, okay, who basically was modified to have human-like intelligence, okay, and in some ways even beyond human intelligence. So, upon reaching this state of awareness, he doesn't appreciate. Uh, continuing to be treated as an animal, kept in a cage and, you know, just commanded and told everything what to do, similar to what is going on on our world right now. People being treated like animals in a cage and herded back into the cage whenever they uh, attempt to do anything outside of the dictates of the their dominator owners and then you know they have someone sick people on them with a pain stick just like uh the character um dodge is doing in the scene with caesar there depicted in the upper right hand panel on image number eight in the slide presentation so Dodge is kind of like one of the villains who, you know, wants to keep the apes under wraps. He basically hates himself. They show you this, that he's not, you know, a popular person and not a very popular uh, man. And, you know, he has a lot of issues psychologically. He really doesn't, you know, he's kind of like borderline psychopathic. And he just wants to hurt someone who he considers beneath him. That's all that you know he's you generally it's easy for him to do because the apes don't have you know human level intelligence but upon attempting to do this to caesar 
Caesar is a different breed of animal. You know, he's far in the way of intelligence above these other apes that he is gathered together and jailed with, basically. And upon getting hit with this pain stick a number of times, Caesar finally does something that no one has ever heard him do, even though he's displayed above average intelligence. He speaks for the first time. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. The word, the word that he says, that he screams at the top of his lungs, at the top of his voice, repeatedly over and over again is no. He tells Dodge, the controller, the cop, if you will, no, I'm not going to continue to take this. And he basically puts Dodge in his place and ultimately gets his other ape friends out of their uh, jailed quarters and leads them into freedom in the forests. But, you know, I was saying last week, we ultimately know, you know, if we've seen the other Planet of the Apes series, I don't know what direction they'll take this if they go further with it. This is supposed to be like a prelude to all of them. What happens is the educational effort really isn't present in the real smart apes, okay, who, who understand the truth about what should be said to control, which is no, which Caesar at least understands in this movie anyway. But, you know, in the future, they become the same types of controllers. And then they take humans on as their pets and keep them in the dark about their history that they took over the world from them as humanity basically exterminated itself. And the few rem remaining survivors are kept as slaves by the apes. Again, it's the same cycle repeating because people can't ultimately let go of domination of the desire to control other people. They can't let go of that because there's something deep inside of them that is still unaddressed. Imbalances within the individual that is still unaddressed. Things that they haven't worked on upon themselves. Things that they haven't dealt with by looking in the mirror and facing it honestly and directly. You know, it's all things that they don't like about themselves that they're trying to avoid psychologically ignore and somehow think that they can prosper as a result of that ignorance. You know, and that's what this is all calling people to do is take a look at yourself. How much are you involved in what's actually going on? Have you really withdrawn your support? Even by what you say, are you still saying that this control is necessary? These levels of control? Are you not speaking out about how wrong it is for basic rights to be attempted to be taken away from people like they're doing with saying you're not allowed to protest at national conventions you can't go and speak your mind or even assemble the, supposedly they're trying to say at uh, the republican national convention coming up they don't even want assembly let alone protesting they're going to set up free speech zones that are miles away from the actual convention People don't have a right to do this. You're allowed to assemble and speak, period. No one's allowed to tell you that you're not. Ever. That's why that's written in the First Amendment to the Constitution that we allegedly have. You know, human, the United States doesn't have a Constitution, let alone the world. We have no Constitution. We're made of nothing. Nothing. 
because we won't say no and stand up for rights. So ultimately, the paper is meaningless, the words printed on it are meaningless, and the word constitution is meaningless. Because if you don't have an internal constitution, it doesn't matter what's written down on a piece of paper, ladies and gentlemen. That's why the name is called a constitution. It's supposed to be about what you're made of. Well, if you will tolerate that kind of treatment to be corralled and herded like an animal and told where you're allowed to go and what you're allowed to say, you deserve that treatment because you don't have any constitution. You certainly don't have any courage. And ultimately, that's the kind of treatment you deserve. How about that? So until we develop the courage to say no, like Caesar does in this allegory, and say you're not going to continue to treat me like a penned animal, and I'll do something about it when I'm confronted with that kind of immoral behavior that you do not have a right to, regardless of what some psychopath politician told you you were allowed to do, ultimately you have no rights unless you're willing to step up and take courage into your own hands and do something about it. You'll continue to get pushed around. You don't want to tell anybody that that's wrong? I think the wives and children of those cops who show up for work should tell their own fathers, husbands, brothers, you're disgraceful scum of the earth who think you have rights that you don't have. And I'm not going to support you. I'm not going to stay with you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to, I don't want to be around you until you decide to be a moral human being. But no, that's not going to happen because, hey, that, that it's all about the money. You put food on the table. You, you, you buy me this and that and that. And, 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 you know, we go out to eat and go shopping. And I have my nice house and television and, you know, a hundred cable channels. You know, because that's ultimately what their constitution is, isn't it? Isn't that right, ladies and gentlemen? That's why people won't even tell these people they don't have a right to do what they're doing. Because they don't have any courage and constitution. Ultimately, they're as big of a piece of slime trash as the people who are willing to step on someone else's rights are. In their silence, they're totally complicit by not saying anything to them. And that's what someone like that is, a piece of human trash. They're not really a, a true human being. They're something far less than a human, far less than an animal, and far less than an ape is what I would say they are. I would say most apes have more constitution than that. And we think they're somehow lower than us. I'll tell you what, a lot of animals are made of so much more than most people are. You could tell by just looking in their eyes. At least they don't worship money as their god. At least they're still involved in the natural world and the natural processes. And they haven't let the true essence of what they are been ripped away from them and sold for a bag of silver coins. As it goes in another allegorical tale. So... That's the truth, folks. That's what most people are made of. And that's why most people won't say no to these scum thugs. I'll break down the box and then perhaps we'll get to the enigmatic image that I left over from last week in the last second. If listen what on earth is happening here on the broadcast. Stay with us. We'll be right back to the last segment. 
Okay, folks, last segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Let's take a look at the allegory called The Box, a great film from 2009 starring Cameron Diaz. I highly encourage everyone to check this out. It's probably the least known of these four films that I'm talking about that contain apophysis. And this film is about the failure to engage in apophysis, the failure to say no. Um, Basically, what it's about is a choice, a simple choice that is made to a 70s suburban couple, okay? Uh, A strange gentleman, his name is Arlington Stewart, played by Frank Langella, depicted in the upper left with a huge uh, disfigured uh, bunch of scar tissue on his face. It's actually like a hole in his face, really. Um, arrives at the doorstep of this couple. Uh, they are the Lewises. Norma Lewis. Lewis. Norma Lewis is uh, played by Cameron Diaz, and her husband is Arthur Lewis. Well, this strange character, Arlington Stewart, shows up at their front door and presents a choice to Norma Lewis played by Cameron Diaz. He says, I'm going to give you this box and it's got a glass dome on it with a button underneath the glass dome. The dome is unlocked with a key. He gives her the key and he says, if you open it and press the button, someone who you do not know will die. You don't know why. You don't know where. You definitely don't know them, but you don't know what the circumstances are, but they will die. So you don't know how they will die or why they will die, but you will be directly responsible for terminating the life of another human being at your will. But if you do it, you will receive $1 million cash-free. I'm sorry, $1 million tax-free in cash delivered the day after you press the box, the button on the box. Well, they debate it and debate it, her and the husband, and finally she presses the button, seen there in the lower right-hand image. And then the rest of the movie is about the consequences that the couple have to face for doing it, for not saying no to clearly an immoral decision that is returned in payment for in payment with money, with the fake money, Federal Reserve notes. And it turns out that this character, played by Frank Langella, Ar- Arlington Stewart, is not really human. He's a discorporate entity, a disembodied entity that actually inhabits human beings and can actually kind of possess them in large numbers even. And basically, he has traveled to the Earth from somewhere else in the galaxy. You don't know where or what he really is in order to present these tests in the form of these boxes to human beings all over the planet to get a cross sampling of the moral fiber of humanity and if enough people press the button which they seemingly always do they will not stop pressing the button they always take the money and think that they can escape with the consequences of an immoral choice Okay. He, he basically tells people that what he's doing, 
well, he tells people who are involved in his organization at Langley, which is uh, uh, CIA, okay? He tells, or NSA, he tells people there when pressed as to why he's doing this, that he's working for someone else and presenting the data to them. And ultimately, humanity is doing this to themselves and he's just a data collector. That's all he's charged to do. And he's going to present the data to his employers and then humanity's fate is going to be in the hands of his employers. Probably meaning some cosmic entity or some cosmic uh, uh, principality that will ultimately be charged with dealing humanity its fate because of what it is doing. You know, forces of nature, in other words. That's what the allegory represents. You can continue to do immoral things, but don't expect good things to happen as a result. The universe is always bringing you what you've earned, what you deserve. It's always working flawlessly. That's why we're in the situation we're in, because of the moral fiber we have displayed thus far up to this point in our lives. We won't say no to evil. We won't say no to aggression. We won't say no to domination. We have that desire to do things that are only good for us, regardless of how much suffering or even death it causes for other people. And also the other people around us won't even stop us from doing it. How much, how com complicit is the husband who's sitting there with the box in the room and just allows her to press it? Even though she's the one who's making the decision, he doesn't really, really, truly try to talk her out of it or make it impossible for her to press it. He basically lets her do it. He softly tries to talk her out of it, asking her a few questions about her, you know, you, you sure we should do this? You know, don't you think it's wrong? But it's not anything that's even really truly impassioned. He certainly doesn't slam down the lid of the box and say, are you crazy? Are you sick? Is there something dementedly wrong with you for even thinking about doing that? You don't hear the husband say that in the film. He basically sits back and lets her push it for the most part. So that's what the film is about, the failure of apophysis, not saying no, and what it will lead to, the kind of suffering it's going to lead to. Because the sins of the father shall be visited upon the sons. And that's ultimately what you see in the movie allegorically. Because their most beloved person in the world, their child, a son, ultimately is the one who gets this, uh, the repercussions of this choice taken out upon him. And he suffers the most tremendously. So watch the movie The Box, it's phenomenal. In the last couple minutes, I just want to say what this image of the clown is all about that I put up here last week. It was the last image. I never got to it, but I'll tell you what this is. And it's a story I don't know if I've told. I may have mentioned it in an interview or two. I really haven't gotten into it much here on what on earth is happening. But I emailed a dark occultist that I worked with in the past back in, I believe it was early 08, after I had kind of begun my lecture series and uh, you know, the whole uh, truth movement and 9-11 truth movement was picking up a little bit of steam and people seemed to, be, seemed to me to be waking up. I put seemed in, uh, I'm doing a double air quotes right now. Um, but things seemed to be progressing back then, at least to me anyway. That was my perception of it. And I asked him 
And it's, it's meaningless for me to even drop this person's name because you won't know who it is. It's a dark occultist who lives on the East Coast. That's really all anyone needs to know. I sent him an email and asked him, I, I forget exactly how I worded it. What I really wanted to say is, what do your owners think about what's going on with the truth movement or with the freedom movement? But I didn't use the word owners, like because in all honesty, he's never done anything to truly insult me or to or to you know be vicious toward me. I know he still works in the dark occult uh, hierarchy, okay, and still has that mindset and heart set, if you will. Still feels the same way, still thinks the same way, still lives the same way. He has not had an awakening in conscience in any way, shape, or form. May be a genetic psychopath for all I know, but. Um, basically had decent conversations with him and was treated respectfully when I was involved in the Church of Satan uh, and attended certain uh, functions where he was present. So I just said, what do the higher-ups, I think was the word that I used, what do they think about the truth and freedom movement of what's going on? And in the dark occult, when they don't really want to be bothered with you, they'll often just answer you with a symbol or an image. Well, he didn't send back any words. He hit reply on the email and sent back this image, a JPEG that he probably just found on the web someplace of a clown as a response to my question of what do the dark occult think of the truth and freedom movement? A clown dressed in a polka dot suit with a frilly, you know, a neck neck piece and frilly arm pieces and, you know, a multicolored Afro wig and, you know, a hat uh, and, uh, you know, uh, a party horn and the big floppy clown shoes. That was the answer. And to this day, four years later, I wish I could say that he's wrong. But in a lot of ways, I can't. Because people still do not understand the why of what they're doing. And therefore, they have shown up without power, like the Merovingian has said, because they do not understand the why. On the nature of truth, Buddha once said that there are only two mistakes one can make on the path of truth. Not starting and not going all the way. Think about it, folks.